You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. I'm Adam Rissman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. Welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast, a show all about learning how to build better products and businesses through conversations with leaders in the worlds of design, product management, startups, marketing, and more. In this episode, I'm excited to share a recent chat I had with Chase Clements. Since 2011, Chase has been a support pro at Basecamp, many folks' favorite suite of collaboration tools for teams in the workplace. When he's not making Basecamp users happier and more successful, you can find Chase hosting the Support Ops podcast. There, in a regular roundtable discussion alongside colleagues from Automatic, Buffer, and Wistia, he's regularly sharing insights and how to deliver a better support experience for all types of customers. In our conversation, I was able to get Chase's take on how to set remote team members up for success. One of the first things that we always kind of uh, instill in new hires is knowing your limits there, knowing when to turn off the computer, when to shut down the browser, when to walk away from it. Especially with, with customer support, there's always another email in the queue. There's always another chat that can be answered. Why startups should be investing in help sites from day one. As soon as you release your product and have customers using it, you need to have a help doc site that is basically a feature of your product. Um, don't treat it like an afterthought. Don't treat it like a, um, you know, this nice to have little thing over here. Treat it with the same care and intensity that you have if it was an actual feature inside of your product itself. And the benefits of embedding support team members in with product. So they get to touch every single new feature that goes out as well. They're really, really great at not only spotting like, yeah, there's a bug in Internet Explorer when you do this like particular sequence, um, but also really good at, I think customers are going to be confused about this thing. Can we change it to this flow? It's a wide-ranging chat into keeping your customers and your support team happy. So without further ado, let's hop into the studio with Chase Clements. Chase, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's fun. I'm a big fan of your of the Intercom show and the Intercom product. So I, I was kind of doing a little like a little dance a little bit at my desk when I got your email. The feel, feeling was definitely mutual. So obviously, Basecamp needs no formal introduction. We've had Jason Freed on the show and are big time admirers of, of your product and the work you guys put out there. But can you give us some insight into how support at Basecamp has evolved specifically? Um, I'm thinking things like volume and team structure since you've come aboard. And when was that? Yeah, so I was hired, um, good grief, uh, May 2011. Um, that was way back in the day. You know, I, I got out of college and I thought for a while I wanted to be a public school teacher and realized that really wasn't my jam. Um, I, you know, stuck around the restaurant world for a while just because like growing up, my parents had restaurants. So I knew that world was really uh, familiar with it, was really good at it, basically. Um, Basecamp put out a, uh, an open job for a support team member back in, uh, I guess it was like March, April of 2011, somewhere around there. And I applied, like thinking there's no way in hell I'm going to get this. Like, I'm just going to see what happens. Um, and then about a week later, I got a call from Jason and everything just going to happen really quickly. And I joined the team. Um, we were a really small team at that point, you know, uh, maybe half a dozen people or so. Um, and you know, our, our customer base was not quite as big as it is today. Um, the support volume wasn't quite as big as it was today. I mean, I'll be honest, the, the bulk of my time there in the beginning was spent basically just answering like the next customer email that came up. Um, but, you know, company grew. Um, our team grew. You know, we're one of the largest company, uh, largest teams inside of, of Basecamp itself. 
Um, we're up to like 12, 13 people now, something like that. And, and with those extra people, we get to do cool things like, you know, trying out live chat for customers or trying out um, some social media ideas or some community things, a uh, little marketing, like all those other things that you can really kind of uh, experiment with once your team gets big enough to give you some space. It's really interesting to hear about your background prior to coming into a customer support role. How are the backgrounds on your team? Yeah, so that's one of the things we look for. All of our, so I won't say all of our hires, but for the most part, the people that apply for jobs on the support team particularly are, are pretty diverse. I mean, we've got several former librarians that we hired. We have a former apartment complex manager that we hired. I was from the restaurant world. You know, people that all were interacting with customers in some way, shape, or fashion, but they weren't doing like what we think of as like online customer support kind of thing. Right. There are certain skills that all those people share despite their you know, diverse experience? I think it's, yeah, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's the thing that everybody calls soft skills, right? Like empathy, being able to write well, um, being able to communicate well. Like those are the things that, that we look for. And those are the kind of the common thread between all of us. I mean, in those jobs, you're dealing with customers face-to-face. So you have to be quick on your feet about thinking through the situation, how you can help that particular customer. It's all things that translate really, really well to online customer support when we think about that. The hard skills, those are things that we, we just teach when we actually hire them. You know, here's how Basecamp works. Here's how our email system Help Scout works. Here's how Intercom works, like all that kind of thing. So Basecamp is truly a remote workforce. I mean, you have these collaboration tools that are for remote teams, but you guys yourselves are also remote. I mean, your founders even wrote the book on remote working. Uh, A lot of growing companies, the first thing to go remote there is often support. Perhaps it's to cover more time zones, to be where your customers are, or even to go with 24-7 coverage. So thinking about your support team specifically, what's been the key to creating a a healthy culture among these um, team members that are so spread out? The biggest thing for me personally has been limits. Um, You know, it sounds weird, right? But when you are 24-7, when you do work remotely, it's literally, I I joke around with the rest of my family and say, I can do my job from the middle of the field as long as I have a laptop and I have an internet connection somehow. Um, So it's literally like the job, you don't get like, like a snow day, right? It's like, you know, you're, you're, you can always work whenever you want to work. So one of the first things that we always kind of uh, instill in new hires and something like, I mean, I've been at Basecamp since 2011. I'm still working on it myself is, is knowing your limits there, knowing when to turn off the computer, when to shut down the browser, when to walk away from it. Uh, because I mean, especially with, with customer support, there's always another email in the queue. There's always another chat that can be answered. There's always another tweet that, that needs, uh, you know, an answer. So it, it can be tough to uh, know, like, you know, I'm going to stop working now uh, and just kind of walk away. So that's one of the, like, that's one thing that I think is really key, especially when it comes to like being um, a, a healthy contributing member when you have a, a remote team like ours, like know those limits, because if you don't, then it's, it's going to be a world of pain. Do you have to sort of go the extra mile when it comes to sharing information that everyone's learned when they're spread apart like that and not retreat into silos with, you know, the things you're learning from talking to customers every day? Yeah, absolutely. You know, well, I mentioned earlier, like we look for people that are good writers, right? So somebody that, that can write and communicate really well, they instantly go up to like the top of, a, of our stack when we're interviewing people for a new job. The reason for that is because you have to be able to communicate in a written form, whether it's talking to a customer or it's pitching a new idea to the rest of the team or giving an update on a project, like all that happens for the most part via written text. Now, granted, you know, you can do like video tours of a new feature that you're working on or a new idea that you're working on. You can sprinkle in all sorts of 
images and pictures and things like that. But for the most part, your ability to write well directly relates to how effective you are at being able to interact with the rest of your team. You're also doing a lot of this for, you know, not only for the, the moment in time, but also for people down the road that are kind of come back and read this later. Um, so we have to think about, you know, when we're writing up the, the explanation for why a design is a certain way or why the choices we made to do live chat rather than this, you know, whatever those reasons are, we want to be able to effectively communicate them, write them down. That way our new hire six months down the road can come back and read it and instantly be up to speed on where we were with that conversation. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like you, you got to be able to write well when you're remote. And much of what we read every day about good support focuses on things like keeping your customers happy. I mean, that's an obvious one. You guys have that great statistic on the top of your support landing page about what 3% essentially of customer satisfaction, right? Yeah, so it's continually updating, which is the cool thing, right? Um, so like, uh, let me pull up the website real quick. Like if we were looking at right now, Tuesday, November 8th at one forty-four p.m. Central Time, we are looking at um, 97% wow. of the last you know 100 people we talked to were happy. And how are you measuring that? Yeah, so um, every email that we send out, every interaction we have uh, has this just little row of smiley faces at the very bottom where you can click and tell us how good we we were doing, like how you felt about that interaction. Um, so you get to pick from a nice green, like, yeah, everything was great, smiley face. You get to pick from like a yellow flat line, like, yeah, you know, it was okay. Um, and then we have a red frown, like, eh, it was just not good kind of option. Well, so in addition to keeping customers happy and avoiding churn, at the, at the foundation of all that, you ultimately need a, a happy workforce. And this is something that I've seen you discuss on the Support Ops podcast. Um, there's a great uh, episode we'll put in the show notes that goes into this in, in detail. But ultimately, I mean, how do you facilitate career growth for your support team so they don't feel like they have to leave support for a product role or a customer success role? Although for some people that may you know, ultimately be their end goal, but that they don't have to go one of those things to advancement. Is there beyond people management that you can offer in the support? Yeah, so there's kind of two things tied up in this. The first one being basically like, are, are you happy with where your career is going, right? Um, are you happy with where you are right now and the options you have for your career? And the second part is like, you know, what are those options? Um, what things can you do in support? Because Basecamp itself is a relatively flat organization. So take our, our support team, for instance. We have a, a team lead, Kristen, and then everybody else is pretty much on the same level. There's no like, um, oh, if you do like three more projects and collect two more stars, like you get to bump up. Um, we just don't really have that. Uh, instead, what we do is, um, you know, we focus on growing you as a as a support pro, basically, like advancing you and your skills, whether it's those soft skills that we talked about, about, um, you know, being more empathetic and, and that kind of thing. Or if it's hard skills, like maybe you want to learn CSS so you can help figure out bugs a little bit easier. Um, whatever those things are that you want to do, we help and make sure that you have those opportunities to do that. So like a, a good example, we were just talking about having an a intern, like Basecamp does an internship program. So Marissa and I, uh, Marissa is one of my, my support team teammates. We were talking about, you know, well, what would that look like if, if we were mentors and we had somebody like as an intern? So that's going to be kind of a fun side project that we get to work on that, you know, it's not climbing a ladder, but it's going to advance us as, as support pros. We're going to get better at our job from, you know, doing something like that, offering mentorship like that. The other thing really is is that happiness that I mentioned, right? So a lot of people are wrapped up in like, I have to have a super happy workforce because happy people mean happy customers. And yeah, that's true. But at the same time, like I think the job that we have 
uh, is to kind of make sure that the the circumstances and the situation is primed for happiness. Right. Like I can't I can't make somebody happy. I, I don't know which episode you heard of Support Ops, but Carolyn makes a good point. She's like, you know, for people that don't know, Carolyn's at, uh, is the chief happiness officer at. at buffer. And she was like, my job is to basically create a, a situation where somebody can be happy, but I can't make them be happy. Um, I can't go in and, and like tell them how to be happy. Like you do X, Y, and Z and you're going to be happy. So I want to, you know, especially for startups and things as they focus on, well, I've got to have a happy workforce and everything else. Yeah, you do, but it's, you, you got to create that, that circumstances, that the context, and the situation for it, rather than like worrying about, is Joe going to be happy if I tell him to do X, Y, and Z? When it comes to your teammates communicating that level of happiness, is there anything you can do for remote team members to open up those lines of communication so that it, you know, just isn't happening behind the scenes when you're not with that person in the office every day? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we go as far as do we have a project set up called Care Camp. So, you know, that's a space for us to go through and kind of talk about. It sounds like this mushy-gushy hippie thing, right? But it's like you got to focus on self-care to make sure that, that you're happy. So we set up this, this project where you can go in and you can talk about things like, you know, if you're feeling stressed at work and, and what are some options for setting yourself up in a situation where you can be less stressed. It's also a place where we talk about different like food diets and exercising because all that plays a part in, in you know, a person being happy. In, in the bigger sense. Um, so we do that. Uh, we also do one-on-ones, not only with Kristen, our team lead, but um, also with, with each other. Uh, and I think a lot of it too is, um, you know, after working with somebody for a long time, you can tell if something's going on just from the way that they're interacting with you on, on, a, on any given day, right? So like the example I like to use is, uh, you know, I've worked with Joan and Marissa now for, you know, five years, almost six years, if one of them is having a bad day, I can feel that through their their text chat conversation with me and vice versa. Like they'll know from how I'm chatting that day uh, if something's going on. Um, that's something that's only going to come with time, you know. So if you're a brand new startup and you're doing this remote thing, like don't think that it's just going to automatically happen. But I think that's a big part of it too. Like you'll start to pick up on certain people's habits and, and little like um, – ticks and things like that. And you'll get a good sense of where they are that day. Right, right. Ultimately, there are, there are tells that develop over time, just like as you develop rapport with customers, if you're communicating with them in a personal way, ultimately, you start yeah. to get a better feel for those signs. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've got a customer that I talk to her about once a week. Um, she's a big fan of emojis. Like if, if an email doesn't have an emoji from her in there, like I know something's up. Um, so it's, you know, some, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of a tell, right? Yep, yep. Speaking uh, again about structure within teams, I know this is something that of very different views on, but what's your take on specialization? Is it a good way for team members to carve out a niche and gain deeper learning or does it up windows for, for silos again? Uh, yeah, so I got to say um, specialization for specialization's sake is I'm just not a fan of it. Um, I'm okay with with the idea of you want to get better at a certain part of the product or you want to really dig on, dig in on how like PCI compliance works. So you can really have a good understanding of like how billing works. Like that's fine. If you want to like dive deep on that, go for it. But the end goal should not be for you to like hoard that knowledge. Like the end goal should be for you to share all of that um, so that all of us get a kind of a knowledge boost from what you learned. 
Um, so yeah, specialization, you know, if you want to do it, go for it, but just remember like whatever you learn, share with the class, uh, make sure that you write it down. So future hires will have that to refer back to. Don't, don't keep it locked up to the point where like if any billing email comes in, if a customer has a billing question, like you have to go, Oh yeah, Jane over there, she's the only one that can handle this. So we're just going to have to wait for her to get back from vacation. Um, so yeah, share specialized, but share. Yeah, so it's ultimately it's it's specialization for the benefit of the team, not the individual. Absolutely. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Getting a little bit more tactical here. Earlier this year, you wrote a really great post on Signal vs. Noise, which I'm sure all of our listeners know about, but it's Basecamp's blog on Medium and the big issue you were discussing is no reply email addresses. Basically, the, the TLDR is they create an, a necessary and a personal blocker for customers who just ultimately might want to have a conversation with you, and you're shutting that down sort of off the bat. But a lot of startups are still doing these things for, I mean, newsletters come to mind almost immediately. Many of our listeners are coming from early stage startups themselves, so I'm sure this isn't your only pet peeve here. What other common blockers might they be creating by simply following these trends that seem innocent on the surface. Yeah, it seems so innocent, right? It's like an email address that you just happen to throw in that one little form field on your newsletter, whatever product you're using to put it together. But like on the receiving end, it's so impersonal. It's so like, oh, okay, I, I see how you are. Okay, that's fine. As far as like other little things, uh, and it might be something that I you said pet peeves earlier. It might just be pet peeves with me. Like I, there might not be another customer in the world that actually agrees with me on this stuff. Um, but I think like little things like making sure it's really, really easy to get over to like your, your support documentation. There's some bigger ones too. So a lot of people, when you first set up your, like whatever app you're using to do your customer support in, whether it's intercom or help scout or, or whatever, be really particular about how the system automatically treats your customers. And what I mean by that is I'm sure you've been in a situation where like you email 
some company and then you get an automatic email reply back that like assigns you a ticket number yep. and then tells you all these like weird little short codes that you can use if you want to like open the ticket or close the ticket or, or whatever, right? That ticket language drives me nuts. Like it's an email. That's all it should be. If I have to like open a ticket and then get a, have to know like what my ticket number is and then actually the worst offender is like, if uh, I get a reply back from a company and I don't reply to it, then I usually like 24, 48 hours later, I get this automatic email from that system saying, hey, you haven't replied. We're going to close this ticket out. You know, Go ahead and open up a new one if, if your question's not answered yet. And I'm sitting there thinking like, that is such a robotic move. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such a, such a system. It's like I'm trapped in a system now. And it's usually really unintentional, right? As people go out and they just, you know, whatever support product they pick, it might have that as the default. And then you have to go in and like turn it off or whatever. But yeah, like pay attention to those little things. Pay attention to the things that make it a little bit harder on your customer when you could be making it a little bit easier on them. No matter how many blockers you remove, though, I mean, sometimes the quickest route to an answer for users is is through self-serve and a lot of times users need an answer they need it now and maybe maybe their situation is complicated maybe it's not but um at Basecamp, you guys have a really robust and intuitive help doc site a lot of great visuals on there it's, it's clear that you've invested in that space um when should startups be investing in this kind of content whether it's a help site knowledge base whatever you want to call it and what's been the key to doing it well for you guys yeah. So personally, and okay. So for any startups that are listening to this, you're going to get a million different answers about when you should start doing this. Um, for me, it's always from day one. As soon as you release your product and have customers using it, you need to have a help doc site that is basically a feature of your product. Um, don't treat it like an afterthought. Don't treat it like a, um, you know, this nice to have little thing over here. Treat it with the same care and intensity that you have if it was an actual feature inside of your product itself. So invest in it from the very beginning, you know, and then from there, anytime you add a new feature, just go ahead and add that into your help site. Like do those simultaneously. Uh, one of the, th the things that we've kind of pushed for here at Basecamp is whenever the team releases a new feature, like the moment that new feature goes out to the customers, we flip the switch on the documentation for that on the help site. So it's instantly live the moment customers get that new feature. Not an afterthought, not a, oh, yeah, that would be nice to have, not a, oh, yeah, one day. It's, it's instant. The moment that feature goes out, it's there. So I say that, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of coordinating, but that's fine. You know, if you have to take an extra day or two for the, the help site to be updated to release that new feature, that's fine. You know, take an extra day, take two extra days or whatever. Like I said earlier, it's, it's a feature of your product. I think that a lot of people forget that. So treat it with that kind of attitude. You asked about doing it well. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, a help site does two basic core things, really. First, it explains how to use something in the product. And then second, it explains why you should use it. Uh, a good example with us, if you ever used uh, Basecamp 3, um, we have two tools inside of it. One's called Campfire. One's called the Message Board. Campfire is kind of this group chat tool, you know, instant conversation back and forth. Messages are more like a traditional message board. You post a message about an update or an announcement or something like that, and then people are able to reply to it as a comment like thread underneath it. So with our help site, we talk about not only how you use those, like how do you post a message? How do you format the text in a message? How do you save it as a draft before you post the message? Like we cover those things, but then we also talk about why, like what's a situation where you want to use a instant chat campfire type tool versus a kind of a lower gear, give people more time to reply messages type tool. That's one of those things where 
it comes up in almost every conversation I have with a customer when I'm talking about the different tools in Basecamp. They ask, you know, why am I going to use this versus that in this particular situation? Um, so if your help site can, can kind of get ahead of that, if it can explain not only the nuts and bolts of how to use it, but also why you would use this over that, uh, I think it, it does a, you know, that's kind of the, the job that it has to do at the end of the day. Right, right. And we've talked about both of us a couple times, the good support, a differentiator for your product. It's It's got to be human rather than robotic or or corporate. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, kind of been a running theme so far. Uh, it's something we are constantly preaching at Intercom too, is our, our mission is ultimately to make internet business more personal. Do those qualities apply to this sort of support content as well? I mean, how do they manifest themselves there? Yeah, so they absolutely apply. And again, if you think about your help site as a as an extension of your product, a feature of your product, it's kind of weird when you like use a product and then you go over to the help site and it's completely different. Like you can tell two completely separated siloed teams like worked on each one individually. You don't want that kind of feeling. You want it to this just kind of be the seamless experience going from one to the other and then back. So when you start writing up your self-serve content, you know, use your own tone, use your own voice, use the language that you're using in the app itself. You know, if you're telling people to post a message, use the phrase post a message rather than like submit a message just because it's different. It's a different kind of voice, even in just like that one word change right there. So have your own tone, have your own voice, have fun with it. A lot of times you, you see help sites that are very kind of vanilla, you know, very off the shelf, templated, kind of robotic kind of style. Like, again, like it's an afterthought, like, oh, yeah, we have to do these because people expect it. Help sites don't have to be that way. Like have fun, add in some videos, add some some GIFs, add some animations, add whatever you want to in there. I know for us, whenever you go and look at our help site, like if you go to like the campfire chat I was talking about earlier, we have a page that talks about campfire. It's got screenshots on there. It's got uh, GIFs on there. It's got a video at the very top that shows you a real world kind of this is where you would use it kind of situation. Like all that is going to give the the customer a better experience about uh, answering their question versus a like, oh yeah, we found this like free WordPress theme and we just slapped it on there and then we slapped some text in and all this was done like, yeah, like six weeks after the feature came out. Again, treat it like a, a feature, right? Mm-hmm. Give it that same care and attention. And, and another thing that I think people would notice um, visiting your help site is that you still have a lot of content there for um, Camp Classic and Basecamp too. And there's this idea that you guys have that I, I really respect called un- until the end of the internet. And it's that you guys aren't forcing anyone to update when the new product comes out and you continue to support those older versions because you don't want to interrupt the way people work. So what challenges does that bring from a support perspective and how have you guys built your strategy around that? Yeah. So as a customer, is there anything less terrifying than an email you get from a product that you use that either says, A, we've been bought or B, we've got this brand new version that you're going to love, right? Mm because that means change. Something's changing. And for us, like our customers are small business owners. Like they don't have time for, for change. Like they want steady, they want stable, they want uh, Basecamp to be basically what it is today, tomorrow. Whether that's they're using our oldest version, Basecamp Classic, or if they're using our brand new, like Basecamp 3 version. So that was our promise. Our promise is until the end of the internet, we're dedicated to supporting our products there. So as long as we've got power, as long as we've got servers, as long as the internet is there in some kind of form, you're going to be able to use even Basecamp Classic that has been around for, you know, uh, 12 years now. And we've got customers that still use Basecamp Classic that love it. It does exactly what they need it to do. They're not going to change anytime soon. Support-wise, like, you've got to learn those products. 
whenever you get hired on the support team, we, we tell folks it's going to be about a three month ramp up process before you learn all three different versions and all the little like uh, quirks and, and all that for each version, because they're all different enough that it's they're they're basically separate, distinct products. So training becomes a little bit harder. Thankfully, you know, we talked about the help site that we have earlier, like all that is still there, not only for customers, but for us too. So if we forget like how some little weird thing works in classic, it's probably in the help site you can go back and look at it there. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, a, um, a cost that goes into this, but I think at the end of the day, it's a cost that customers appreciate and it's one that it's going to pay off down the road. I've written a lot on our, our own blog about how we um, use our product to support intercom. And I think it's safe to assume as a remote team, you're using Basecamp to support Basecamp in a lot of ways too. Through all that time in the product, what role are you playing in, in the feedback loop when it comes to new features? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of different things that come into play here. Um, the first one is I talked earlier about um, how every new feature before it gets released has um, help documentation written for it. Usually the designer that's working on that feature will go through and kind of work things up, but we'll also have um, somebody on our support team go through and, and help them out with that as well. So the help site, you know, that help documentation is getting made by people who, you know, are kind of coming from two different angles. The designer who's coming from the, I built this feature, and then the uh, support pro that's coming from the, yeah, we have to teach people how to use it now if we need to. So we we get some support feedback in that way. Before it hits that process, our QA team goes through and they spend about a week, a week and a half. So actually QAing every feature that comes out. Michael and Ann are on the team. They were two of our earliest support hires. So basically it's like we embedded our support team <laughs> in the QA. I mean, yeah, it's we embedded them in. So they get to touch every single new feature that goes out as well. They're really, really great at not only spotting like, yeah, there's a bug in Internet Explorer when you do this like particular sequence. Um, but also really good at, I think customers are going to be confused about this thing. Can we change it to this flow or whatever? So they do that as well. All hand support, you know, that's been a, a, been a big thing because it kind of, you know, rotates every designer, every programmer into the support for a day so they can talk to customers right there in the inbox. Uh, you're right. We do use Basecamp to support Basecamp. Uh, and one of the ways that we do that is we have a, a folder set up in our support project that basically collects all of the uh, different customer ideas and, and feedback that we get inside of our, our email inbox. So we've got it split up into um, you know these different areas where basically we can go, all right, if you send me an email about, I would love if Basecamp could do X because of Y, we can take that email and then put it inside of Basecamp in that section. That way, when a designer at the very beginning, when they pick up on a new feature, they can go into that section of the project and look at all the different feedback we got from customers, see it in their words with their screenshots, if they attached any or files, if they attached any. So the designer is able to really get a good idea of where the customer's coming from at that point, because they're reading, you know, actual customer words, actual customer ideas. And I've worked with teams before where they take that kind of customer feedback and usually it's locked up in like some other product or some other app over here in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's great. It's great that you're collecting that, but having it like in a place where your team is going to interact with it on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, where your company is going to see it um, every day, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, huge, obviously. And it's interesting that you mentioned too, embedding uh, team members. That's something that We've done at Intercom recently to help extend support's influence and bridge communication gaps is getting those support folks in with the, the product people. And it's it's obviously made a huge difference uh, from what we've seen. Yeah, it's just, it sounds like this, like, 
like this little thing that you can do that isn't going to have a big impact or whatever. It's like, oh, you're you're putting somebody on that team, yay! But there is so much again, so much power that comes from that. You know, um, it's you know that whenever you're looking at a feature, that the customer's voice has been there. Uh, now, some features, you know, it's going to be one of those where um, maybe it doesn't work how the customer originally intended it to do. Um, maybe it's like the customer said, I needed X, but then you really dig into it with that customer and other customers and you find out, yeah, they really need more like Z. And so you make Z, um, that old quote about, you know, Henry Ford and cars and horses, faster horses and all that applies there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, to even like get that customer voice, like the first step, right? The first step that you as a startup can do, you as any company can do, is to get that customer voice out of the inbox and into the hands of people that are working on the product. And however you do it, whether it's all company support, uh, customer days, um, putting that feedback right inside whatever app you're using, like whatever method you use, I think it's going to, you're really going to get the benefit from, from doing that. So speaking of sharing insights, we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you've got your own podcast that you host, Support Ops, and Support Ops is, is more than a podcast, too. I mean, there's job support there and lots of other resources. But on the show itself, uh, you're joined by Carolyn from Buffer, who we mentioned, Chase Livingston from Automatic, and Jeff Vincent from Wistia, who we've had on our, our show as well. He's definitely a great guy. Um, what can listeners expect from that show, uh, and what do you have coming up there? Yeah, so what other show can you really get two guys by the name of Chase on it? You know, really. I mean, if nothing else, come to listen for that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think from the very beginning, you know, when we started the podcast, we we kind of had the end goal of being, we want to help um, any team out there improve their customer's experience, whether it's a startup, whether it's, you know, a company that's been around for a while, if it's remote, non-remote, like whatever it is, like we've all got customers, every business has customers. Um, so our goal was just kind of make it a little bit better, help you improve that uh, your customer's experience just a little bit better. Um, so to do that, you know, we've got the show. We uh, we do series on everything from like how a support team can work with the rest of your company to like how you can grow and learn more yourself as a support pro. Uh, if you get a chance, go and check us out, supportops.co. At the very top, I've got a start here link, which is kind of a good primer on uh, the show itself and, um, you know, myself and the other Chase and Carolyn and Jeff. And it's got a couple of our favorite uh, episodes listed too. Those are really good, like kind of places to start. At least, you know, I think so. Um, so, yeah, check it out. I think if, again, if you got customers, then, you know, you're, the show, first off, it's free. Second off, you're going to come away with something that's going to make your customer's experience just a little bit better. So I think it's worth it. Come for the two chases. Stay for the support insights. Uh, I think we'll leave it there. Exactly. <laughs> Chase Clemens, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, you can follow Chase on Twitter at Chase Clemens. And again, check out Support Ops. Thanks again, Chase. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.